one of the most valuable and important clarifications that we must make in life and in practice, which are not two, is to clarify, to know what's ours and what is not ours. What's ours to take care of and what's not ours to take care of. Because if we confuse these, we end up causing suffering and harming for all of us. In one sense, we can say nothing is ours in a most fundamental sense. Nothing is ours because Everything is always changing. And any idea and expectation of how it is that we have, that is our expectation, at some point will not be fulfilled. And if we hold on to that expectation, we have suffering and stress. Even our expectations are constantly subject to change. They're not ours except in the moment when we articulate them. On the other hand, everything is ours. Everything and everyone that we encounter is our life. And how we respond, how to take care of it, is ours to clarify. That doesn't mean ours to fix into the way we think it should be. That kind of attitude has us, if we, if I say it, arguing with reality and guaranteed to suffer because our ideas about how reality should be are just that, ideas, expectations, which if we cling to, we're in trouble. Even about this body, mind, guaranteed, doesn't follow our expectation. So it's not ours to take care of. And yet it is ours to take care of. But even more important is to see what there is that is ours to take care of. What there is ours to be able to let go of. To say that's not mine. Ours, yours, doesn't make a difference how we say it. Those are variations of the same word, mind. <coughs> but we make all sorts of trouble for each other and for ourselves when we believe 
things about other people that are ours to fix, to ensure that they do it the way we know it should be. Not just other people, other things, other circumstances. We make all sorts of trouble when we set up standards of how we should and shouldn't have been in the past, in the future. And we hold on to these standards. Of course, the standards, the ideas are just now. I shouldn't have done that. Oh, how could I have? Holding on to those things is not allowing the so-called past of right now to be as it was, but rather demanding, I should have, I could have, if only. And of course, other people in our life, if we believe that we know how they should be, could be, we see the turmoil that that creates. And it could be in our life most intimately, and it could be in our life at a distance. People that we know in work, socially, familiarly, much less people who we don't even know, but who are, I don't know what word to use, public figures, let's say it that way, celebrities, let's say it that way. Certainly, even on some simple things, some of you are sports fans, if you watch sports, you even notice people have comments about what they should have done. Second, third guessing. What do they call it? Monday night uh, quarterbacking. But when we believe those, right there is a little bit. Now, in a way, that's no big deal. Oh, it's something said and it's gone. No one holds on to that. Except we do hold on to it. We hold on to it about various circumstances that we consider significant. Not only that, not only in the present, but in the past, in the long past. Even in the past where we're not sure how it really happened, but we have our own version of it. And we think, of course, we know how it really happened. What is ours and what is not ours? As I said, everything that we encounter is ours to take care of. When you meet someone, it's yours to smile at them so that they can smile back at you. It's yours because you met them. And when you meet them, they are your life and you are their life. 
You are the life of the universe. When you walk into a public bathroom at the, let's say, I go to the airport, and you see towels on the counter, paper towels on the counter, or a mess to clean up, if it's appropriate, if you can, it's yours to clean up. Why? You could say, I didn't make it. I don't have anything to do with it. But if you're there, that's your life at that moment. That's yours to take, clean up, to take care of. Or it's yours to notice where you believe stories of mine and not mine. Of course, stories of mine and not mine are just caught in a self-centered dream. Self-centered dream means just that. means a dream of what's self and what's other. Not that there is no self, not that there is no other, but we can say self and the whole universe is self. The whole universe above the heavens, below the earth. Just, and we can say other. We could say there's not one shred of earth. Vast emptiness, no holiness. Nothing that we should, can, do, hold on to. That's, and yet, it's important in all sorts of ways to be clear. And the way to be clear in this moment might be one of the ways to assist us is to look. Is this, whether you use the word mine or use the word ours, is this mine to take care of? Is this mine or not mine? Is this ours or is this not ours? Or to notice where we're saying it's ours when it truly isn't. Where and if if we're caught up in stress, if we feel suffering and tension, we could look. What are we believing right there? That's always our practice, what to notice what thoughts, beliefs we're holding on to, or what self-centered entanglement, to use that kind of word, we're entangled in. And noticing that, even if we can't clarify it, is assisted, is leads us to experiencing this, being this experiencing even to the extent that we can't see further than that. Because being this experiencing is being directly this reality of the moment. And this reality as is, as is entering this clarifies what needs to be clarified, including being not knowing, including being this moment not knowing, 
which is who and what we are. So, sometimes in discussions with others, discussions with family members, discussions with friends, maybe even differences with them, taking a look and asking, what's ours or what's mine? What's not mine is helpful. It's helpful, not in order to get some fixed idea, because no matter what's mine yesterday, so to speak, it might not be mine today. What wasn't mine yesterday might become mine today. But it's to enable us to see and take care of this very life, which is really what our practice is, being just this moment, then we can function compassionately, not being hindered by our ideas and our fears. Fears are usually based on confusing what's mine and what's not mine. See, we fear all sorts of things that will happen to us, But really, the idea that it's mine to whom it's happening often is a great troublemaker. Often the idea that I should be able to control this, it's mine to control, is a great troublemaker. Because it creates suffering and harming where it need not be. Or, to put it another way, we can sense the tension and the turmoil that comes out of that. And, after all, that's what makes trouble in this life that we are. Since I bring this up as a starting point to, re- to use as a tool rather than anything you need to remember. I want to see if we could explore our life practice with this and f- see how it can be supportive and nurturing for us in our life practice because that's, that's the only reason for me to be talking Otherwise, you can just go read books if you need book knowledge, but that's not much use most of the time. So, I'll stop here and see if we can explore this further. <coughs> yes, Faye? I, um, I found it to be a really timely talk. Um, I've been working with this very question, what's mine? what's ours or what's somebody else. This in particular, I have a friend who's very ill in the hospital mm-hmm. and now she's been transported to a nursing home mm-hmm. for some rehabilitation, supposedly, or that might be whatever. But um, she doesn't have very many people around um, in the area to help her with things. And um, sometimes um, I'm being contacted, even when I have other commitments, 
and um, you know, and I've really had to deal with this. Okay, what you know, what's mine? What you know, what? I mean, she knows I have other commitments, but I, I, I maybe the only one, or there's another person maybe, um, maybe could help. But it, but on the other hand, he's a dear friend of mine. You know, I really care about this person. However, they're 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 a friend of mine. They're, they're, you know, they're they're not my spouse, who I have perhaps a different level of expectation with. And yet, their human being is important. And so I struggle with, well, you know, that, that very question they asked, what's yeah. mine and, and, and what's not mine? And, and is it mine to, to figure out what she should do? You know, if she doesn't have any people around her to help her with these things, or is it something that, uh, since she's still able to think clearly, that, that maybe she could do, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know, but it's a very, it's a very uh, timely. Yeah. And it's yours to sit with this and to, to see how it clarifies for you, as opposed to trying to find out what's the standard that I need to use and to notice even more guilt or judgments about if I do it this way, if I don't do it this way, what are other people going to say? And even worse, even worse thing is, well, I'm a Zen student, right? And look at the Buddha, he was so open and all this stuff. That's the worst poison (laughs) to put that out. Well, I should be doing this because, gee, you know, I ought to be, you know, I ought to be loving and compassionate to everybody. And so you have an idea of what loving, what and, loving compassion and compassion is. is. Exactly. That, that to me, is the, is the most dangerous piece that right. I, I see. Good. Good. And having an idea of what loving and compassionate would be, an idea, gets in the way of seeing what's ours and what's not ours to take care of. Because the ideas often bump into reality and we don't we hold on to the idea in the face of the reality of the way things are the way things are in terms of what she says she does or doesn't want and despite the fact that she says she wants it the the reality is you can't do that you know she might say I want you to do this today and you have XYZ that you're doing today and you say, well, I really should. Maybe I should drop everything and do what she wants. Maybe, you know, because after all, I am, and you just figured out all the things. I'm going to be nice, and I, you know, she is my friend, and she doesn't have anyone else, and or whatever else. Or I'm going to be a good Zen student and go do it. But you know what? I really don't want to do it, and I hate doing it. And Yeah, because our ideas of how she should be and I should be get in the way of being present and seeing what's called for out of being here. And who is it called for from? Yeah, that's good. And there there isn't a formula. Because once we start with a formula, then we don't see what's really so right now. People can say all sorts of things and people know how to tug on our expectations and guilt just like we know how to tug on our expectations and guilt or beat ourselves up about these things but if it's immediate if you see a child in the street you don't yeah that's easy but you go and you go pick the child up but that's about being immediately there Right, but that's different because you're not thinking about it. 
It, the thinking isn't necessarily bad. It's the not being clear on how to think about it or how to reflect on it. Thinking is just another function of being human. So, someone calls you up, you have and says da da da, and you have to think, well, what do I have going on? What do I need to do? So that's not a problem that you have to, that you think. That's one of the many many ways you as a human function. And when a child's, you know, there, you just do it. But you, there are other, there are times when you need to think about things. Do I have time to do this? Do I not have time to do this? Can I afford to do this? Am I the one that should be doing it? Maybe she has. Uh, I, I, I won't say about this situation, but let's say it's a situation where the a spouse and another and a child and uh, 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 well. A, a spouse and some and other significant um, people involved with that. And if I go there and do it because she says so, I'll end up getting in the middle of their family squabbles. Is it appropriate? Is it not? So, you know, so to reflect on, is it mine or is it ours to take care of or is it not ours? Usually it's even the other way around. We have ideas about how others should be. And we think it's ours to tell them, you know, this is the way you should be. You should fix yourself with this. You need to take care. You need to stop or begin to. That's what I see often being the case, where confusion between what's ours and what's not ours. And to, to notice the difficulty of being with others suffering and knowing that that's not ours to take care of, and yet it's ours to take care of, of being compassionately with them and being with their suffering about it. So, yeah. We get all sorts of ideas about what ours is to take care of, and we voice it sometimes in places where it's not ours to voice either, because it just creates more antagonism and harming. Sometimes we think it's ours to make sure we tell someone what they should think and feel. That's a typical problem in all the 12-step programs. Well, it's a typical problem in all the human programs. <laughs> Because it's what we humans do. It makes us, It, if I explain it too much, in a sense it reinforces self-centeredness. In, in a theory, you know, if I explain in such a way. It's what humans do. It's part of greed and anger. It's part of confusion of self to do that. Yes, that's why we, when it comes up, it's useful to look at, rather than going on automatic out of that, to look at what we're believing. Oh, we're believing that my kids should do what I tell them about this. They should believe such and such. They should act such and such. Or they shouldn't act. How come they haven't learned not to do and you fill in what it is they've 
not learned to do. Despite the fact that I told them and such and such happened, and despite that, they somehow haven't learned. That's just one simple example, as you know. And it's the, if you see movement towards so-called fascism or so-called communism or so-called whatever-isms, yes. But what's yours to take care of there and what's not yours? For instance, what, what are you believing is yours? And what are you believing others should not believe? And who are you believing it about? How do you be in a functioning family or society or group, let's say, where people have different ideas about... Let's not pick big things like that, but even little things. Different ideas than you have about uh, vaccination, about abortion. I'll just pick a few interesting topics that you could see differences of opinion about. About whether one should be a meat-eater or not, uh, about whether one should uh, fly airplanes or not. What's skillful there in terms of being with others who do or don't agree with you? See, that's, those are much more narrow and specific rather than big labels, because big labels are hard to... Um, sometimes see directly where it is in your practice, whereas it's very simple to see it in, in other terms like that. If you have a family meal and someone says, I don't eat, and you fill in, I don't eat gluten, I don't eat uh, non-organic, I don't eat non-local, I don't, or I do eat, and I want to make sure you all eat this way too. And then, so, right there is your, what should I say, fascism in, in action in terms of what's going on, even in that simple setting. Or communism in action, whatever word you want to use. I don't, political labels are, are tend to be labels that mix things up and sometimes blind us to the immediacy and make us believe it's what's not ours is ours and make us get confused between what is ours despite they were being told it's not ours. So, yeah. Our practice is always in the immediacy of now. Now, that doesn't mean that now this immediacy moment doesn't include so-called planning for the future, 
so-called clarifying what's occurred in the past, but it's always right here. The more we can be present with life, whether it's so-called ourself or ourself and others, the more we can see where we're entangled or where we're present and responding. And the difference between responding and reacting out of habits, out of a lack of clarity and um, uh, self-centered attachment, the more we can either do things that are compassionate and are, if I want to use the word, relieve suffering or are entangling and create suffering, are harmful and create suffering. So, it, but again, it's always in the specifics rather than in the generalities, because generalities are easy to talk about until we discover that one person's generalities doesn't, doesn't fit the other person's generalities, even though they use the same words. And we especially discover that when we're with others. Or sometimes we discover it with ourselves. When we believe a generality, I ought to. Like in the case that Faye brought up. So, looking what's ours and what's not ours when we're with others. When we start saying something. Or when we believe things about others. Or even when we start believing things about ourself. I shouldn't have, I could have, why do I? See, then it's useful to clarify. Is this mine? Good, take care of it. It's not, it's not mine. How do I live in a world where events occur, reality manifests, and yet reality isn't mine to change? But, Reality is mine to embrace and then do what's skillful based on the events that occur. Because if we fight with reality, then we know that we always end up suffering and getting hurt. And sometimes even hurting others. But it's always in the specifics. So... That's what's valuable to look at. Yes? Can you uh, say a little more, clarify what you were speaking to early on, which is kind of the um, juxtaposition of it's all ours, it's none of it's ours. Well. Kind of classic Buddhist sort of. None of it's ours is very simple. It's, there's nothing fixed. It's all empty of any fixedness of any self, if I use that kind of theoretical things. But it's, nothing's ours in the sense that if we grasp onto things and want things to be a certain way, we're going to be guaranteed to suffer or have stress, or be, not be satisfied. Because things and people are always changing. 
And if we're demanding that they be the way we think they should be, the way we believe and want them to be, as opposed to be the way they are, then we have a conflict between what is and what we think. And often we try to bang what we think onto what is in order to get a headache. Because when we bang on what is with how we think and feel, we get suffering. And yet, everything we encounter, if we encounter it, then it's our life of the moment. Our life isn't just inside this bag of skin. Therefore, it's our opportunity to respond. How we respond varies according to our skill and ability and our insight. Yet, you can't say, oh, it's not mine because... You know, I'm in here and she's out there, but she needs help up the stairs. Or I can smile and say good morning. Well, I don't know her well enough, but that's a gift you give even though you, quote, don't know her well enough. So that that's simple. It's much more than that. But it's always in the specifics of the being present that the much more manifests for us. So it's not a matter of principles, but a matter of being this moment. And this moment isn't a moment so-called inside my head or inside my body, but it's a whole universe moment right here. That's my life right now. It's in all directions. And the truth is, we live that way. Our senses are functioning in all directions at this very moment. We're hearing and seeing and smelling to the extent that we are. Now, we could add on very quickly, well, I don't see well enough. I don't hear well enough. That's not ours. That's where we're adding not ours onto ours. Some idea about how I, I used to see or I used to hear or I should be able to see. But right there, we're banging our head on reality. Now, that doesn't stop us from having glasses, hearing aids, or anything else. But it does enable us to not be tangled in suffering about what could have and should have and would have, etc. Because then we get what is not pleasant, what creates ongoing harming, what creates suffering, illness, and so forth, even conflict. Does that clarify? It's never about remembering principles but rather living our life this moment, this moment. And if something that I say or something that you read resonates, then that can be a useful or a skillful tool to clarify for us what 
it's called for, but it always comes out of our life, out of living our practice. Even just simply sitting upright, it's important to know what's ours to take care of, for instance, labeling thoughts and feelings when we're entangled in those, being, breathing, and what's not ours in the sense of trying to control, make sure this, these thoughts don't come up again because I've just taken care of them. So, nope, they're not coming up anymore. And yet reality is that you're sitting upright, being still, and yet this thoughts, memories, or projections about the future, or whatever other kind of physical or mental entanglement arises, that's ours to sit in. One of the, I've mentioned this before, I think the very important aspects, aspect of teaching and of the Buddha's teaching was, and of others, is being willing, and even more than that, emphasizing the importance of seeing sickness and aging, and that this is inherent in being who we are. And that the Buddha, you know, even as he was dying, he made a point of being there in front of his disciples, not going off into being out there so that they could see this is what hap- this is what happens, what's inherent in being human. If you're born, this occurs. And to be with this, to be present as this. It's not to toughen you up, but to enable you to appreciate your life each moment as it is. Not as something that you imagine, but as the reality that it is. Which means you enable to, you can be with others in their life, as they are when they are like that. Whether it's a young child of five minutes, five days, five months, or an elderly person of 95 years, or a sickly person of person suffering in illness and so on, or even a dead body. And taking care of that. Because that's where we all inherently are at some point. Knowing what's ours and what's not ours. In order to be able to be this very moment. This very moment. This very moment doesn't get limited by hours and it doesn't get limited by not hours. But if we're confused about those, then we make trouble with being this moment. I just have a small thing that comes to mind when you talk about hours and not hours. Just um, the other night, usually when I leave work, I see someone who's just coming in and she and I say hi and, you know, so I don't know her well at all, sometimes a little conversation, but this one particular night recently, um, 
she started talking about the um, situation with her mother, and um, her mother need, needs a lot of care, etc. And, and then her other siblings are, don't live around here, and she's the only one here, and so forth. And I just, um, I found myself, I saw myself, you know, trying to come up with solutions for her and suggestions of what uh-huh. she might do rather than just listening to her, yeah. um, understanding that yeah. she's in a tough position, and then, you know, but no, it was, you know, and then I, I, I stopped at some point, but I, I just must have said two or three things, you know, well, could you do this, or could they do that? And that wasn't, you know, that wasn't mine, and it wasn't the point at all. The right. point was to just be there with her and hear what yes. she was saying and um, be, you know, supportive or just... Just listen, yeah. really, and then just say good night. That's, that's <laughs> right. So instead, I felt myself sort of starting to become become entangled. You know, like what? How do I? You know, I how do I, I fix have this? Some kind of a resolution so I could leave or something like that. You know, <laughs> and feel okay about it or something. It just I felt like I had to do something with what she was telling me rather than yeah. And, yeah. So. And you. The doing was being there with her and her speaking and emoting and feeling and expressing and your being together with her. And then, you know, maybe giving her a hug, maybe not if that's not appropriate. Then, And sometimes the best present is your presence, if I say it in that way. The best present we can give to reality is our present. It's, of course, the best present we can give ourselves. And, I mean, she wasn't asking me for advice or anything like that. Just laying out, you know, so... Yeah, yeah. I feel... um, um, It seems that I am old and can't always get up very easily and I feel like I want to fall. <laughs> um, a lot of stuff comes up, you know, I'm embarrassed, I don't want to do this, you know, I don't want to be like that, I don't want people to see me like this. Mm-hmm. And so I struggle with what I struggle with. So yeah. there, there you are. And your willingness to be as you are is the greatest gift you can give to others. And to give to all of us. Well, I'm not willing to fall. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you don't. <laughs> I hope so, yeah, I I've encouraged some of you to make an effort, a, a, a sort of call it an added practice of every time you encounter someone, make an effort to smile with them. It's an easy, a very easy practice. That's ours to take care of, because only we can smile. We don't, and it's ours to offer those we encounter. We don't need a special condition to smile, or need them to meet certain conditions in order for us to offer that smile to them. That's ours. It's not someone else's. It's so there's all sorts of simple things that are our practice in nurturing this life that we are, nurturing our own practice and nurturing everyone we encounter. So, 
So the gift of struggling to get up or get down is a great gift that you can give us. Yes. Can result in fear. How? What? What did you have in mind in saying that? I don't remember. Oh. But I can say now, if if we believe what's not ours is ours, and we interfere both in terms of our own thinking and feeling about things and our own speech to others and our own action to others, sometimes we end up creating conflict where there need not be conflict. We create turmoil for ourselves, suffering for ourselves because we believe we should be able to fix something that's not ours to fix or that's not fixable for us, it's, it's so right there. That's just a, a few of the ways where we, the confusion results in suffering, results in harming, results in stress. Um, And yet, everything we encounter is ours. So what we do is our bodhisattva opportunity and our bodhisattva functioning. Notice when we it starts the Heart Sutra, it says Avalokiteshvara bodhisattva doing deep prajna-paramita, clearly saw, sees emptiness of all conditions, thus relieving suffering and pain. If we think relieving suffering and pain is just relieving so-called her own, his own, Avalokiteshvara is, then that's a very, that's not bodhisattva practice. It's relieving suffering of pain of all beings. And yet, we need to take a step further and see. No hindrance, and no fear, no hindrance in mind. I mean, in a sense, you could look at the very model of the Buddha's life. The Buddha awakens. How wonderful, how wonderful all beings are, the wisdom and perfection of the Buddha all beings and I together have attained the way. And yet, seeing because of entanglement, attachments and delusions, suffering exists, taking the next step and seeing, offering what is to be offered. He struggled with that step too. Well, he struggled in, in ways of how to teach it and what's skillful, whether it can be shared with others. That's 
but struggle in the sense of clarified. So it was clarifying, is there something to, to take the next step with, and how to do it skillfully. And how to do it when it's called for, as opposed to going and imposing it. Joko sometimes says, said, um, wait till people ask three times before you offer them something. Don't go around and tell everyone that they ought to sit. Just take care of your practice. Then you've got your life to offer them in the way of your being with them. But don't go around and proselytizing. If they ask you time again and again, then In a way, even though sitting is so simple, it's also very difficult for many people until the right time. It's very difficult to be willing to be, to encounter the mind, chatter, tension, entanglement of thoughts and feelings and body, to be with that to be willing to stay present with that. But the right time appears as circumstances offer. Okay, anyone? Thank you all.